0: Well, thank you, Fred. Good morning to each of you. It is good to see so many people here this morning. A little different than last Sunday. We had a lot of people who were gone visiting family, and we understand that happens with the holidays. This is the last Sunday of the year, and as I was preparing, I was thinking back over our Sunday morning services this past year. I remember a year ago saying to you as a congregation that this year, can be the most significant year in your spiritual pilgrimage if two things happen. First of those is if you recommit yourself to a high view of God's Word. And the second is if you and I are willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ. So. You know, it'd be wonderful if we could just go around the congregation this morning, especially for those of you who who relate to you on a regular basis, and just see. Have you give opportunity? What what has happened with you spiritually this past year? I hope that it has been good. And here we find ourselves again, on the brink of something new. And um, I wonder what all the different messages will be in churches across our county. There are six within a mile of us here uh, and across our state and across our country and around the world today as we think of the coming year. So what do we say when we come to the end of a year? Well, it's certainly a time to reflect, but more important than time to reflect, it's a time to think deliberately about what lies ahead of us. And so this morning, that's the direction I want to direct our attention I've chosen a time in the life of the children of Israel when they were on the brink of something new. Open your Bible this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And just to begin this morning, I'll give just a bit of a Bible study. Um, We are all familiar with the first five books of the Bible, correct? Uh, What are those? Some of you younger people. What are the first five books of the Bible? Help me out this morning. Genesis. Genesis. Next. Exodus. Exodus. Third one? Leviticus. Leviticus. Fourth one? Numbers. Fifth one? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Who do we attribute these books to commonly? Who who authored these books? Moses. Moses. And we normally refer to them as collectively the what? Five, the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch. But I don't know if you're aware this morning or not that the the book titles or names that we just repeated here are actually the English um, derivatives or translation of the Greek names that were given to these Hebrew scrolls. That's kind of complicated, isn't it? You realize that when these were written, they were not called Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Hebrew writers, or writer, when they named these books, they looked at what was in the, the words or in the first verse of the first chapter of each of the books. And that's how they named these books. When the Greek translators came along later, they re they named them, they didn't just translate the Hebrew, but they gave them different names. And what they tried to do was capture the essence of the book. What was the book primarily about? So, just let me give you an example. Genesis, the Hebrew title was Bereship, and that word means origins. And of course, we look at the first verse of chapter 1, In the beginning." The Greek uh, title was given Genesis because they saw it as the beginning, where things began. Not too much difference there. But when we look at the book of Exodus, Exodus, the Hebrew title for the book of Exodus was Shamu, which is names. Names. Because the book of Exodus starts with a listing of the names. That's where the book begins. But when the Greek translators, when they named the book, they named it Exodus. Because the essence of that book is about what? The journey out of Egypt. Leviticus likewise. The Hebrew name for the book of Leviticus was Akura, which means, and he called. And if you look at the first verse of chapter 1 of Leviticus, and God called Moses, and he called. However, when the Greeks, when they named the book, they named it Leviticus, because they saw the essence of that book as a letter, a book that was written to the Levites about holy living. Numbers, the Hebrew name for the book of Numbers was by Mithbar, which means in the desert. And it begins in chapter one, verse one, in the wilderness or in the desert, God called Moses. And so that's how the book was named. However, the Greeks named it Numbers, because they were impressed with the census of the people. That's what we primarily find in the book of Moses of Numbers. Well, we come to Deuteronomy where we're going to be this morning, and the Hebrew word is Averine. Which means words. Words. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it's the words of Moses. Deuteronomy, the Greeks named it because they were impressed that it was the second giving of the law. Now we find ourselves in Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy is an interesting book because the book of Deuteronomy is pretty much just words. And by mean of that, there aren't actions, there aren't things happening. And so, to help us set the context of the book of Deuteronomy this morning, what has happened, we find these being the words of Moses. The context is the people, as we get to chapter 30, are in the plains of Moab. They are on the brink of a new time. They are ready to go into the promised land. And Moses, if you go back to Numbers 20, an incident happened in Numbers 20 when Moses was commanded by God to speak to the rock to draw forth water for the children of Israel. And in his anger with the people, he smote the rock. Water did come forth, but God said, Moses, because of that action, you will not lead the children of Israel into the land of promise. But Joshua will do so. And so we find now as we come to the book of Deuteronomy... Moses, in the last days of his life, stands before the people and speaks. That's what the book of, Moses, of Deuteronomy is. And as we read Deuteronomy, we see Moses doing three things. In the first four chapters, Moses recounts their history with God. And what a history it has been. God's promises to Abraham and to Isaac... And to Jacob, they're finding themselves in Egypt, calling out to God 400 years of slavery, God delivering them miraculously, and then them complaining and rebelling against God and wanting to go back to Egypt. Um, he recounts all of that in the first four chapters. And then in chapter 5 through 26, he reminds them, he recounts again the laws of God. Again, Moses is getting ready to die. And he recounts to the children of israel the the laws of god and then in chapters 27 to 30 he presents the conditions of a covenant with god what's it going to require what is god going to demand of them you see moses is trying to prepare them for this new phase this brink of new experience They are ready to go into the land of promise. God desires to fulfill that promise in their life. God desires to multiply them. God desires to prosper them. God desires to protect them. God desires to show them His glory. But Moses tells them, it's not automatic. Just because God has done all these things in your past... Does not mean that that's going to happen in the future. That is what God wants to do. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. And so I find some some, similarity with where we find ourselves, especially at a time of reflection of, of a new phase, a new year. And so the title of the message this morning is It's Your Choice. It's your choice. Moses presents to the people a choice. So I want to read this morning, chapter 30, beginning in verse 15 through verse 20. Just pulling out a portion of this. Moses says to the people, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, and His statutes, and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Notice Moses clearly outlines to the people that there are two roads. There are two ways this can go down. And the choice is theirs. God wants to give them this land to fulfill the promise that He made to Abraham. God wants to multiply them, He wants to prosper them. He wants to fulfill that promise to them. But He says very clearly the choice is theirs. And like the children of Israel, you and I, as children of God, find ourselves this morning, at the end of this year, kind of on a brink. We find ourselves, as it were, on the plains of Moab. We don't know what lies ahead. But what we do know is that God desires to bless us this coming year. God desires to prosper us. Now I know we tend to want to run from the prosperity gospel message and and I understand that. But let's not run so hard that we don't recognize that, that prosperity can be part of God's blessing for us. As well as meaningful relationships. Protection from evil and calamity. Blessings in ministry. Blessings in relationships. It's a new year. But listen... Just because it's a new year starting tomorrow does not at all mean or guarantee that there's a new you. We can very easily, even though God is giving us a new year, walk into that year an old you, an old me, and not experience what God has asked for us. You see, every morning we wake up, as it were, on the plains of Moab. And we have all the possibilities of what God desires to do in our lives that day. And the scripture says he desires to do abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, beyond what we could ask or think that day. But the choice is ours. You see, we too must choose. And as children of God today, we must choose between blessing and curse or chastening. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 12. You may want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what the scripture says. Hebrews 12:5 and 6 And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth You see chastening for the children of God is not just a possibility But when we choose to not follow Him, it's guaranteed. Chastening in our lives is guaranteed because we are children of His. And whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. So every morning with the breath of physical life, we as His children are given the opportunity to walk in newness of life to walk in the power of the Spirit, to embrace His grace and His glory for that day. We're given that opportunity, but we have the choice. And our choice determines our spiritual experience for that day. Our choice determines whether we're going to experience blessing or be overcome with stress. Whether we're going to experience peace Or be overcome with worry. Whether we're going to experience joy. Or be overcome with misery. It doesn't mean that life won't be hard. But the choice we make that day determines our outcome. You see, God wants to answer your and my prayers. God wants to move in our life in powerful ways. God wants to handle our issues, to go before us, to open doors, to guide us. He wants to do that for each of us. But we have to make some deliberate choices for that to be a reality. And there are three specific choices that I think we need to make. And we find Moses saying those same choices to the children of Israel. The first of those is you and I have to choose daily to be committed to the commandments of God, to walk in His ways. Look at verse 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments. You see, we have to be determined every day that today I am committed to obeying God's commands. Regardless of the situation, the circumstance, regardless of what other people are doing, I'm committed today to obeying God's commands. When you read the last four chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, you find more than 20 times in four chapters that Moses warns and pleads with the people to commit themselves to keeping the commandments of God. He says, whatever you do, walk in the ways of God. Don't wander to the right, don't wander to the left. Whatever you do, whatever happens, follow the commandments of God. Now, to faithfully obey God, to faithfully follow His commandments requires two things. One requires the choice. The choice to do that. And that's significant because we can very easily find ourselves going through life in a reaction mode rather than the proactive mode. You know, you know, we go out the day, we start the day, and, and we can handle this. In fact, we would really rather handle it the way we want to. And then when we get in over our heads, then we call out to God. Help! Rescue me! Make this go away! Alleviate this! Meet this need! I'm in over my head. We, we, that, so it begins with a choice. But the second thing is, we have to know what the commands of God are. We have to have knowledge of that. You see, there are several obstacles to that. And, and, I, and as a pastor, I wanted to, this is one of the reasons why you and I need to be reading our Bible. Because how else are we going to know what the commands of God are? There there are a couple obstacles to us in understanding what God's commands are. And and one of those is, it's very easy for us as sincere followers of God to have an improper view of God. You know, we, we, we create this God of our imagination. Rather than going to God's book and seeing who God is and what he requires, we look about us and we create a God of our own imagination. A God who is as tolerant of everybody as what we think people should be. A God who is tolerant of evil. A God who winks at sin. A God who says, well, they're trying, they're doing the best they can. It's very easy for us to have an improper view of God. Secondly, it's very easy for us to have an improper view of ourselves. That somehow we are an exception to God's commands. That somehow because of my history, because of what I have done for God, that this doesn't apply to me. God doesn't ask that of me. You see, it was very easy for the children of Israel that day. They understood that when they went into the promised land, there were pagan people there they they're going to face God's judgment. But, but that, God's laws are, are for them. I mean, God left us out of Egypt. You see, we're, we're somehow exempt. We are God's people. Deuteronomy 8, let me just turn back in this long speech or teaching that, Moses gives before he dies. Let me read Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 14. And listen to what Moses says. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Good things often we want to attribute to ourselves and to our efforts. When you think back over this last year and you see where you are today career-wise, financially, maybe some other honors or things that you have have been your experience this last year, it's very easy for us to attribute those to me. To me. And you know when it's most likely for us to turn away from God? When everything is going well. If this morning you are are doing better than you ever have. You are worth more than you've been worth. You have a greater position than you've ever had. You are healthier than you have been. Your relationships are the best that they have been do you realize this is a very vulnerable time in your experience? In Psalm 119, verse 67, David said, I won't quote it, but in essence he said, when things were well, that's when I have departed from God. You see, when David fell into sin with Bathsheba, that's when everything in Israel was great. So, An improper view of God, an improper view of of ourselves. But another obstacle can be an improper view of others or other things. It is so easy for you and me to make idols out of other people or other things. To so want the approval and blessing of someone else in our life that we allow their influence to be greater than God's command in our life. We we, we want to follow God, but if it's going to jeopardize this, we cave. We cave. Or perhaps it's a thing. You know, there's one sin that is so abhorrent to God that is always punished, and that is idolatry. God is a jealous God. God detests when you and I take and give our allegiance to something or some other person who has not been the one or the thing that heard our prayers, that healed us, that delivered us, that protected us, that made a way when there was no way. No other person has done that in our lives. That forgave us of our sins, that brought us out of despair and made us a child of His gave us eternal life. God detests when you and I attribute allegiance to any other person or any other thing that could not do that and did not do that. Well, again, that's just one of the reasons we need to read our Bible so we know the commands of God so that our mind can be renewed. And, you know, here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter how much you and I want to be right. If we don't know God's Word, we're not going to get it right. Do you realize that? Romans 10, the Apostle Paul describes what so often I think we see even in our day and time. Listen to how he describes. Chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now listen to this. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Listen, I say this to all of us, but particularly to you young adults who who have moved now from the direct influence of your parents and, and now you are more and more finding your own faith. And that's a good thing. But listen, passion, passion to, to be a Christian, passion to follow Christ, passion can never make up for ignorance. It's so easy for us to be caught up in churches and organizations and services where we are so passionate about declaring our love for God and serving Him. But we're ignorant of who He is. We're ignorant of what He wants. We're ignorant of what His commands are. But we're caught up in the passion. Passion can never make up for ignorance. You see, no matter how much we want to walk in righteousness, if we're ignorant of the commandments of God's word, our desire can never make up for that ignorance. God's word has to be embedded in our heart and our mind. We are called to let God's word renew our mind. So Moses calls the people in this last address he has to them to be committed to God's commandments so that they can experience God's blessing. But notice Moses never said it would be easy. Ahead of them, if you read into the next book, Joshua, you see there are battles they're going to fight. No one ever said it's going to be easy. No one ever said it's going to be convenient. And furthermore, I say to all of us, and especially to you young adults, no one said it's going to be popular. If you're going to be committed this coming year to God's commandments, you're not going to be the most popular. It's going to cause you at times to be different. It won't always be comfortable. You see, sometimes the perception of a struggle causes us to question our commitment to God's command. We can say, you know, I have been, been doing this and this and this and this, and, and now I'm going to experience this. You know, I have tried to be a kind person. I have tried to be loving and respectful to people, and, and now I get treated this way? You know, I have been faithful in, in going to church and being part of a small group and, and, and God lets this come in. You see, it's very easy for us to get our perception of difficulties and problems to question our commitment to God's commands. We say, here I am living right and therefore I expect everything to go well and I'm struggling financially. Or here I've been trying to serve God faithfully and now I just found out I have cancer. So we question, we allow our perception of difficulty, of struggle, to question our commitment to God's Word. I remind you this morning, the Scripture says over and over again, Do not be weary in well-doing. In due time we will reap if we faint not. 2024 is a year to not faint. 2024 is a year to continue to do well. To do what we know to do. So, the first thing you and I have to be committed. We have to make the choice that we're going to be committed to God's commands. And again, I say we have to know what those commands are. Do you know what God asks of you? Where do you get that information? Just looking at other believers? just by what you hear in your church. When you and I stand before God and give an account at the end of our life, we're not going to be able to say, well, that's what my church said. Well, that's what my friends said. That's what my small group said. We have to know what God's word says. And so this morning, one of the things I want to challenge all of us for this coming year is renew our commitment to discovering what God's commands are. Does it matter to you? I hope it does. I hope it does. Well, the second choice we have to do is we have to embrace the gift of God's grace. And there's two ways we have to do that. Number one, it is so easy for us to look at the things that we have And the blessings we've experienced. And take credit for that. Moses is telling these people. Listen. You are getting ready to go into the promised land. A land that you did not earn. A land that you do not deserve. This is not promised you because of you. This is promised you because of my promise to Abraham. It is so easy for us. To look at the blessings we experience and the successes we experience and to claim responsibility for that. Listen, do not fall into that trap. I am not decrying that we need to put forth effort. I'm not decrying that, but listen, you have not gotten to where you are just by your own merit. None of us have experienced what we deserved. None of us have reaped all that we sowed. None of us have faced the consequences, all the consequence of choices that we have made. Were it not for God's grace in our lives, even before we came to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we would have been consumed. We would have died. You are not where you are today because of your pulling your own bootstrap. That is a dangerous place to be when we claim the credit for what we have and where we are. Yes, we we contribute to that, but were it not for the grace of God, you would not have had the opportunities that you have had. You have not have had the family that you would have had. You would have not had the opportunity for relationships you would have. You would not have the health that you have, were it not for the grace of God. The flip side of that is every time we experience the gift of God's grace, Satan has someone, either ourselves or someone else, who has the memory of our past. You don't deserve that or stirring up the guilt of your past. Listen, we have to choose to embrace God's grace. Paul says, Because the law, sin abounds. And where sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abound. There is no past that God's grace cannot surpass. And so we need to look in the mirror when you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed of your past. If you have repented of that, if you have experienced forgiveness of that, you can look in the mirror and say, I am who I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. You know, when someone is arrested, officers in America have to read them the Miranda rights. I hope none of you have had those rights read to you. Uh, but, But basically they say that you have a right, what? To remain silent. And anything that you say may and will be used against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be provided for you. Well, this morning I want to give you your spiritual Miranda rights no matter what sin you have been guilty of, no matter what you have done, no matter how long you have done it, you have the right to repent. You have the right to find forgiveness. You have the right to be restored in that relationship. You have a right for that past to not define your future and who you are. Those are your spiritual rights. A child of God, and we need to embrace those. Well, we'd only need to be committed to God's commands, we'd only need to embrace God's grace, but we need to choose to submit to God's sovereignty. Idolatry is so close to all of us. It is so deceptive. It goes not only to what we do, but to why we do things. It's so easy for us to worship someone else or something else ahead of God. You've heard me say over and over again, the why is what, Matty? More important than the what. And often, the question to why you and I are doing something or not doing something has to do with who or what we're worshiping. Because when our worship is is to God and God alone, that why, that why will take care of a lot of the what. But when we are seeking to please and honor or pursue something or someone other than God, that will cause us to do things and not do things. That will affect the what. What? and often it relates to idolatry. See, every day this coming year is going to give you and me reason to fear. There are going to be reason to faint at uncertainties. There are going to be issues. There are going to be opposition. You know, I would love to be able to stand here and say, tomorrow is a new day, and 2024 is going to be a piece of cake. 2024 is not going to be a piece of cake, okay? We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. But before you and I each morning leave the plains of Moab, we need to make a decision. And one of that decisions needs to be that today I am not going to recognize any authority in my life above God. I'm not going to allow any problem, I'm not going to allow any conflict, I'm not going to allow any other person, I'm not going to allow any failure, I'm not going to allow any other thing to have that place in my life. That is so important that we do not surrender our attention our loyalty, our commitment, or our will to any other thing. Every day gives us that opportunity. So, think of the things that we often can face. Sickness, that's a false god. Financial distress, that's a false god. A broken relationship, that's a false god. Those who betray you or hate you, that's a false God. Cancer, that's a false God. You and I need to decide every day, I will not bow my will, my mind, to any false God. Because I serve the one true God. And today, I declare I am his and he is mine. Happy New Year to each of you. I hope that this coming year, I don't know what the promised land looks like for you, but you and I are, as it were, on the plains of Moab. Let's be committed to his word, let's embrace his grace. And let's submit to his sovereignty. God bless you.